welcome back to another episode of Blossom Down. I am your host, Stephen Weed, and of course, always joining me, my man, Mr. Walter Lukashensky, out in Pittsburgh. We're not together this week, Wally, but how was your weekend since the last time we were hanging out? It was a lot of fun to be able to get a full week of college basketball. Obviously, it didn't go well for people like me that are Buckeye fans, but it did help to have rooting interest through brackets, through survivor pools, and then, of course, the other member of this podcast, you over there, big Syracuse Orange fan. Ironically enough, basically the inverse of what you got with Ohio State, you have Syracuse playing in the second tournament, or second weekend of the tournament, excuse me, and they're very exciting right now. I mean, Buddy Bayheim looks like the real deal. It's just a matter of, can he take down Sister Jean? Obviously, you have to go through Houston first to get to Sister Jean, but the way they're going right now, I believe they're matched up with Oregon State. You imagine that they're going to get through that, at least a little obstacle, but the Pac-12's been really good. I guess we shouldn't get too ahead of ourselves, but you have a number two seed in Houston, and then potentially the Sister Jean factor. So do you think that there's a chance that we could be looking at a third weekend for Syracuse basketball in the month of March? First things first, Wally, put some respect on Buddy Beheim's name. Buddy Buckets right now. Kid is averaging 27 and a half points. Is unconscious. These past three or four games, really, he was doing this in the ACC tournament as well. You know, they got knocked out because of Virginia. I was so high on us winning, or we took that out, but it's okay. Oh, you. Oh, yeah. Bring it down, UVA. I put a little, that, that gave me a glimmer of hope that maybe Syracuse can go a little far. We'll see. Houston is a tough team. But what I've always been saying, that 2-3 zone out of conference, this team is consistently built for tournament play. I don't care. We just limp to get into the playoffs every year. Then we just blow your minds. This is the 20th Sweet 16 that the godfather Jim Beheim has been a part of. And it's not going to be the last, especially when we get those boys. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Pretty hopeful that we're going to beat Houston here. Then play Loyola Chicago, the dream story of the past. But now it's going to be two out of the past three or four tournaments that they're kind of the dream story, the Cinderella story everybody's loving, especially with that frail old woman that they have there. That's right. I'm already talking shit about grandma. Well, yeah, and I can't even remember. It's like, what, Trigwig or something like that? That guy that looks like one of us that's playing basketball at a high level right now. Whoever that guy's name is, but it's beside the point. It's been a remarkable story yet again. They kind of just steal the show for the second time, like you said, in what, four years now? I mean, that kid that I was just talking about, he was a freshman on that team that made it to the Final Four a few years back. Who knows? I mean, teams like Loyola Chicago don't typically have that second weekend experience on a team and to actually have that this time. Who knows? It might be ironic to say, but they might be favored in both of their upcoming weekend matchups if they do beat Oregon State. And if your boy Syracuse do get through, it could be looking at a Ramblers team that's favored in both the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. So we made a bracket together last week after a couple beers, little appetizers. We're like, this is just going to be our fuck it bracket. When I took Syracuse going to the Final Four, I know we're only halfway there, but... I don't really look that ridiculous now, do I, Walter? Not at all. Me, on the other hand, jokingly enough, or not joking, because I did expect the Big Ten to do well, but I didn't realistically think they'd have four teams in the Final Four, but I'm like, well, screw it. I'm going to ride with my boys in this case. It's the SEC mentality for football. It clearly hasn't translated, and my own Buckeyes, they got bounced, which, honestly, I was kind of relieved that Oral Roberts beat Florida, because now you get the narrative is going to start changing a little bit, a little bit like that Florida Gulf Coast team where it's 
yeah, they might have been underseeded a little bit. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. Ohio State should have won that game. If you're a top 10 team all year, you have to show up in the tournament. It didn't happen. The only saving grace as a Buckeye fan, similar to what your Orange are looking at, most of these guys are coming back. I mean, right now, only C.J. Walker looks like he's going to leave. It's because he's a family now. It's kind of tough to come back for another year of school. Who knows, maybe if they do get and retain Kyle Young, then then all of a sudden you're looking at a Buckeyes team again that should be in that two, three, four seed range going into the tournament next year. And hopefully we can do our own little Virginia Cavalier story. You get bounced by an ugly upset in the first round and repeat the next year, same group, come back and win a title. I, I'm not going to get too ahead now. We're a year out from that. But that's been in the back of my mind. Of course it has. Just like NFL free agency, it's all smoke and mirrors until something happens here, Wally. Let's stay on the college route. Let's flip it over to the football side. We had the pro day starting here this past week, and there there have just been ridiculous numbers. People are starting to climb up draft boards because of 40 times, broad jumps, etc. A couple that stuck out, Rondell Moore. I know you know. I know all of you Buckeye fans know who this man is. Purdue wide receiver. Dude's only 5'7". He puts up a unofficial, what was it, 4'2", 4'3". Dude had a 42.5-inch vertical jump. I don't care if it's pro day or not with their combines. That is an impressive stat for someone that small. I'm going to kind of flip it to you here, Wally. I kind of took Rondell. I want you to harp on that. Was But was there any other prospect in particular that kind of stuck out to you on these pro days? Yeah, well, first of all, with the Rondell Moore, yeah, we definitely remember – as Ohio State fans, the guy dominated. I mean, he had two touchdowns and like 170 yards only a couple years ago in that win. One of the pro football focus guys was even quoted to saying, my new comp for Rondale Moore is Julio Jones trapped in Cole Beasley's body. And that's Austin Gale out on Twitter who tweeted that. But it's a great thing where this time of year, and you did touch on it briefly, that combine stats and pro day stats typically are a little different for the simple fact that these teams are running them. So guys have a little bit inflated numbers, but when you have numbers like Moore had, you have to imagine the guy's got the athletes in there. He's a stud. The biggest question for him is, is he going to stay healthy? Because he's only played seven games in the last two years. The other two stories for me, just real quick, and then we'll move on to at least a little talk about the quarterback bonanza going on, and then we'll get into free agency. But Najee Harris, can't say enough about the guy. Everybody, I feel like even people that aren't, Bama fans like myself. I mean, he drove nine hours after his plane ride was canceled just to go and watch his teammates do their own pro day workouts and support them. And if that doesn't say it all about a guy and then stay in the same exact locker room, Landon Dickerson, he was the, if everybody remembers, he's a center that tore a second ACL this year, right before the college football playoff. He had the emotional snap to end the game which was a really cool thing, and it made it easier that we Ohio State was down a million at that point, so it didn't hurt as bad, and it was kind of a cool, touching story. But he came out with the Vince Wilfork look going into the locker room a few years ago. My man had the Gene Denim overalls just out there doing his little reps on the, the bench. He couldn't do much of the pro day stuff. It was still a really cool story, and he's going to be a guy that someone's probably going to reach on because if he does stay healthy... He's the interior offensive lineman that you want in this draft. The guy's heart and soul is evident. He was infectious in that locker room, the personality. Everybody talked about how important it was to see him be able to come back out on the field for even the one snap in the national title game. I'm excited to watch. This is 
probably my favorite time of the year because you do have free agency and then people that are obsessed with college football and the NFL, it's kind of that mesh point where they're going to have this evaluation process now. And for the next month, we get to train ourselves once or twice a day to convince ourselves we're going to somehow draft 30 of the top 50 guys in a draft for each of our teams, or at least that's how I look at it. We're going to keep it here with the draft prospects because quarterback is the theme of the year. The athletic NFL beat writers just released their most recent mock draft. They had Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields. Those are the first four picks off the board. So if this is true, well, obviously if this is not true, but if this does pan out, this would be the first time in history that four quarterbacks, one through four, go in the draft. But of course, the biggest question here is, which quarterback is going to be the one to fall, Wally? Crazy enough, a lot of people are saying that Justin Fields might be the odd man out and he might be the guy to fall. I'm personally rooting for it because I do want to see him go to a situation that's really good for him. And I think that a potential spot like Atlanta you get to see in this situation, I think that'd be a great spot, or at least for a young rookie. He has the baseline there. He has a decent amount of weapons around him. You have the signing today, too, of Lee Smith out there, another great blocking tight end. So the goal is going to be to protect Matt Ryan. And then who knows? Do they move Matt Ryan if this happens? Blah, blah, blah. We'll see. But right now, it could be anybody's guess. The only one that we're kind of almost using pen already is we're marking Trevor Lawrence into that number one spot. But outside of that, it feels like any of these quarterbacks realistically could be taken before another there's even teams and GMs that have been rumored to really like Mac Jones. And he's not one of these guys that are being mocked in the top five, top 10. You could see team either move down for him or potentially even reach. That wouldn't be out of the realms of possibility. We see reaches every year at this time. This is, like I said, it's the most fun time of year because for the next month, we're all going to be talking as if we know better than you or you know better than us. Everybody's the right mind. No one ever is wrong. If you just talk to people this time of year, they're all dead set in their ways. I personally love Justin Fields. I think he's the second best quarterback in this class, but we won't know that for four or five years. We literally, after the Andrew Luck year in RG3 year, one season went by. RG3's in the playoffs. Unfortunately, he has another injury to his knee. He's never the same again. But people out there were like, I told you RG3 was the guy in this draft. Why would we want Andrew Luck? And remarkably enough, Luck didn't have the longest career for very different reasons. But it's very tough in the immediate aftermath to figure out who wins or who loses. But that's what makes being a football fan so great. You get to talk about this stuff and convince yourself that you're right on everything. So for me, I'm fired up to see how it turns out. If it does happen, you're looking at potentially an 84 NFL quarterback draft class to that caliber and I think it's going to keep happening the way that NFL is these days. And, or let me rephrase that. The way that college football quarterbacks are these days, it's basically a profession. And with how much time these guys are putting into the effort, it's good for the game at the end of the day. What do you think? Do you think uh, Fields will be the odd man out or do you have your eyes on another one here? Of course, Justin Fields is going to be the odd man out because it's a, it's Ohio State quarterback. Ohio State can seemingly produce every position outside of quarterback to make that next leap. So just, I feel like that is surrounding him currently right now. And that's why people are kind of pumping off. I mean, 
Dwayne Haskins got a lot of hype, if not a little bit more than what Justin Fields is getting. And we all know how that ended up. He's now in Pittsburgh. The Washington football team was just a complete disaster with him in there. But to Justin Fields' point, he looks, he passes the eye test for NFL ready. He never thought JT Barrett was going to be, you know, in the NFL. Cardell Jones, maybe, but, you know, that one, that one quickly fizzled out. Like I said, your boy Dwayne Haskins. So we'll see. But I think Justin Fields is in a great talent. But overall, you know that it's Trevor Lawrence's draft to lose here. Well, the number one seed to lose. Zach Wilson, BYU, I, I just don't have too much trust in that. And then Trey Lance, North Dakota, yeah, we have Carson Wentz looking at him now. So it's going to be hard to kind of compare or to pull the trigger on another another North Dakota product. You see it every year. There's stigmas around positions in certain schools. And Ohio State is one of those, especially at the quarterback position. You see throughout the last, what, 20, 30 years, they stacked the draft. The one position they haven't seemed to really get figured out was that quarterback position at the next level. But we were saying the same thing about Big 12 quarterbacks here five years ago. I I mean, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but Patrick Mahomes, he was a bust going into the draft because he wasn't going to be good because he couldn't be good because he was a Big 12 quarterback. Every player is different. This is the time of year. I just think it's so important to scout the player not the situation, not the stigma surrounding the schools and the positions. So I hope that Fields ends up in a good spot, and I think he will do well. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. Again, with you see this all the time. In the Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield situations in the Big 12, I think are just ringing endorsements that we don't know what we think we know. And Kyler Murray's another one now. So the stigmas change constantly. We'll see how it goes. I'll stop harping on Ohio State and Justin Fields now. The number one quarterback that everyone is talking about right now, we've been talking about for different reasons, but Deshaun Watson, I feel like that we do have to gloss over this on top of the other the other quarterbacks, players that we're going to be talking about here for the next five to ten minutes. As we know, Deshaun Watson requesting the trade, that dumpster fire that Houston is going through currently. But now, a couple other women have come by, or a couple women have come forward, bringing a total to 16 about potential sexual misconduct and harassment. Obviously, we're not here jumping to conclusions. It's important to let the due process take its place, let it do its due diligence. Regardless, though, I think this is a lose-lose. But while I kind of want to get your insight, obviously about the whole situation, but for some reason I've been hearing, I've been seeing, hearing some stories that his trade, his trade interest has actually gone up from this. Well, from a football side, I can imagine why. You, If you want to get rid of that bad publicity in Houston, I mean, Houston is literally the beacon of bad publicity over the last 12 months, especially with their football team. It's You said lose-lose, and I think that's the perfect way to describe this situation. I'm not going to, like you said, I'm not going to, I guess, speculate right now. I'm going to let things take its course. But no matter what happens, you either have a quarterback, and not even a quarterback, throw that out. You have a man that is a sexual predator that belongs in prison, or you have women lying about rape, or there's a chance, too, that it's it's a little of both. And it's just sick no matter what happens here. It's It just makes you your gut churn a little bit. I, I Again, I don't know even what to say I want to happen because I don't want these women to be overlooked in their stories not be heard but at the same time too if they are lying then you want Deshaun Watson's name to be 
like completely scotch-free clear after this. So it's just, it's a disaster of a situation. I don't, again, I don't know what I'm rooting for. I just hope that, I don't even know what, like, what do you say that you hope for here? It's, I don't, I'm rambling because I don't know. It's just such a miserable situation. I just want to see more come out before I guess I draw any more conclusions. All you're looking for, Wally, is just the truth. But at the same time, it's, you know, there's always three sides to the story, your side, their side, and the truth. But how much of the truth are we actually getting publicly here? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, once we do get that. But yeah, you know, for, it's a lose-lose. This is going to always hamper Deshaun Watson's name. He'll always have an asterisk regardless if he's guilty or not guilty. And obviously, you know, those women will all have an asterisk if they are if they're ending up lying about it so yeah i'm just we just want the truth obviously we are hoping for for the sport of football this is not true because this is the last thing we need and and like you're saying just disgusting and extremely uh obviously unacceptable but unnecessary like you're a professional athlete. You don't have to go out of your way to be that real creepy guy at a party that just like tries to corner you and kiss you. Like, dude, you have piles of women or guys, if you're into that, whatever, to each his own. You have piles of them throwing themselves at you. There's no reason for you to be doing this. So I just want the truth and, and I hope it's the best picture that we can possibly get painted. I just can't imagine a woman lying about this. It happens. Obviously, we've seen it happen before. But the vast majority of women don't lie about sexual assault. And it's a position that you and I will never really be able to empathize with fully because we're guys. We don't have to worry about being cornered or doing a massage and getting groped in the groin. But it's just miserable all the way around right now. And I I just, you said it right, let due process run and hopefully the truth does come out. And again, it's all we can hope for right now. There's not a wanting one side or the other. I just want the truth and for it to be handled appropriately. So we'll move on here to actual free agency. We've had legal tampering period. The free agency has started since the last time that we have recorded been together. So these are the ones that we're glossing over. We got Mr. Bisky landing in Buffalo for a one year, $2.5 million dollar contract 500k the signing bonus now obviously that's a very good value for having a, a honestly says decent quarterback decent backup quarterback here that's a good backup quarterback to have in buffalo it's like a really shitty josh allen so uh, it's a win-win on both sides josh allen does not get injured often i would only think that the times that mr Trubisky would get in is obviously injury or they're up late in the fourth quarter or it's week 17 potentially week 18 as well how do you think about the move for Buffalo? Who won this? I think, honestly, it's a win-win for both sides. Kind of like you said, just for the simple fact that Mitch Trubisky has shown improvement. Now, albeit his improvement was from a spot that you wouldn't desire the number two overall pick having to improve from. This is a situation, though, where he is able to sit back, hopefully learn a little bit. At the very least, he's a guy that's capable enough that you're going to see him in the league for a long time. He's going to be the guy that's cashing paychecks when he's 38, 39, the Chad Hennies of the world. And who knows? This is an opportunity, too. You saw Jameis take a discount last year to sit behind Drew Brees, one of the best to ever do it. This is an opportunity for him now to sit behind one of the young studs of the league, hopefully pick up a thing or two, or at the very least, he puts himself in a position with a good team in case he does get in, has good tape out there. And it's a short deal. 
So who knows? Maybe he's looking at the long term. Maybe he can get a starting role somewhere else here in a couple of years. I don't know if that'll happen, but I can understand for his perspective why you'd want to do it. And of course, Buffalo getting a competent backup for that rare potential injury or something like that, where he's not going to sink the team with how much talent there is around him. I think for everyone, it's kind of a win-win involved. Miami Dolphins land Will Fuller on a one-year deal here. We were kind of mentioning it here last week. Do not be surprised if we have a lot of one-year deals. And man, do we did we get them? Back to the Dolphins landing Will Fuller. Now, Will Fuller, if you do remember, still has one more game on his PED suspension that, that caused him to miss five games to end the season last year. Adding Will Fuller is going to be a good presence in that wide receiver room, as well as you're pairing him up with uh, Martin Grisecki, Grecki, Gecko, Gisecki, Gisecki, yes, sir. Giselle? Oh, that's the other Florida team. Wally, how do you feel about the ex-Texan making the move to Miami? If he can stay healthy, it will really give a good weapon for Tua in his second year, assuming they do stick with Tua. Because, I mean, you mentioned the athletic draft. They had him team moving down with them. I think it was Denver. But there are people out there that are making the case that maybe they kind of pull a Cardinals with Josh Rosen and potentially move on after one year, cut their losses, get decent return for a quarterback you drafted very early in the draft. We'll see how that pans out with that situation. But for whoever is playing quarterback, it's a must-needed addition. And I think it's a good addition, assuming he stays on the field. Fuller's a guy that we joked about it all year, but you never know when he's going to get hurt. It feels like he plays five to ten games every single year. If he can figure that out and stay consistently playing and he gets his 15 games, 16, whatever, if they're 17 in the regular season, it's a good move. I think it's a good move for everybody, and it gives himself an opportunity to make that next step as a wide receiver, maybe go into that lower tier one category. He has had that coverage help with having Hopkins next to him for such a long time that he was in Houston last year was a little bit different. You had Deshaun Watson as your quarterback. I think it's a win-win. Again, we want to do another win-win situation here. I think it's a good move for Miami overall, and I'm not going to be too surprised if he does put together a really good year if he can stay on the field. This isn't on here. There's been a lot of question of what Miami is going to do with that number three pick. Obviously, we just talked about they had, who was it? Uh, Trey Lance is potentially going to Miami. Now with adding Will Fuller, is wide receiver completely off the board for you if it's either Devontae Smith or someone else? I guess a lot of it depends if they decide to be married to Tua for another year. If you want to really get the full Tua experience, then you could potentially be looking at a Jamar Chase there. Or even you move back and maybe go after like a Kyle Pitts and then play him on the opposite side of Gasecki. Because he's another one too. Pitts is going to be able to play in the slot quite a bit. The guy's a freak of nature. I absolutely am in love with that guy. I'd do anything for the Raiders to get him. It won't happen, but I want that. Yeah, so to answer your question, it ultimately will come down to what they decide to do at the quarterback position. If they decide to stick with Tua for another year, I think getting him another weapon would make a lot of sense. The Bengals are doing similar things. There's a lot of people rumored, not only to Panay Suell, which would make a lot of sense, but if Suell is gone or if they decide not to go with another offensive lineman, they could look to give Joey Burrow a little help. I think you have a very similar situation down in Miami, and I think their draft boards are probably eerily similar, to be honest. So we'll flip it out west here, where the San Francisco 49ers signed their number one restricted free agent on their board, Trent Williams. He signs for a six-year, 138 
million and sixty thousand dollars. So that's a six-year contract. Essentially, why that number looks weird is because he made sure that he was getting paid just ten thousand dollars more than David Bakhtiari, who had just signed a contract midseason to become the highest-paid left tackle. First of all. You're petty as fuck. Second of all, congrats to you, Trent Williams. You're an absolute animal. You deserve this contract. But at 33 years old, you sign a six-year contract, and there is a large, large cap hit that's going to be coming. Mostly, in, well, I'm sorry. There's going to be a large dead cap hit that's going to have you guys stay on now. His last two seasons combined, he's going to have around $6 million in dead cap hit. So they'll be able to move on from him. At 33 years old, are you paying your left tackle 138-plus million for a six-year deal? I would not want the Raiders to do it, but that's because the Raiders are in a different situation than the San Francisco 49ers right now. It feels like the 49ers are very close to being a Super Bowl team as it sits. So what they're basically doing with this deal is they're saying, hey, you know what? This might hurt on the back end of this. And you did point out that there wasn't too much dead cap in the last couple of years. So if his play does decline, which it very well could, because it's just hard for bodies that big at that age to be able to continue to play at the level he's playing at. Also love the pettiness of going to $10,000 over. I think that's awesome. And it just, it makes sense too, because it's a, it's a status statement where it's, I am valued as the best tackle in the entire league right now. It's that put, it's that little bit of the ego. I don't care Call, call which one. I, I say ego. That kind of has a negative connotation. I don't mean it as negative. It's the, I have earned this. I want to be seen as deserving of this. And you will, basically when you say best tackles in the league, you will say Trent Williams. Like he will be in that discussion. Would I want my team to do it? No. But for the 49ers, I think it makes sense. It's just a matter of, do they stay healthy enough to make that push that they did a couple of years ago? And with Kyle Shanahan and whoever is playing quarterback for them at the start of next year. I think it's very possible. I, I really, really like the roster makeup of that team. And last but not least, actually this happened today, here Wednesday, March 24th. T.Y. Hillen re-signs with the Colts on a one-year deal. So keeping the veteran in that locker room with Carson Wentz, newly acquired. You know, I don't. I want to ask you how you feel about this uh, signing before. I kind of want to obviously give give my two cents. T.Y. Hilton has just not been the same receiver he has been. Big shocker since Andrew Luck left, his his uh, production has declined just slightly. He came on pretty strong here towards the end of the year with Philip Rivers, but now as a non- a younger new quarterback. So, are you expecting anything different than what we saw last year, or the last couple of years from T.Y. Hilton? Or maybe his production will go up and he'll be an, a thousand yard receiver yet again. I think it's clear that he's betting on himself. And I love when players do that. Earlier, we talked about the fact that a lot of these wide receivers are signing one year deals and purely because of how soft the market is in this year with the restricted cap, that it makes sense that he, a lot of these guys are betting on himself. And I think that this is a better, or at least. At status quo, quarterback situation that he has, at least for the last couple of years, you mentioned that Phillip Rivers isn't, he wasn't the same. This is an older Phillip Rivers. This is a guy that's not going to be slaying it like he was doing it back in San Diego back in the day. So this is a potential for not only him, but Carson Wentz to get on the same path, the same wavelength, and both resurrect their career. And then come March of 2022, there's a very good chance that T.Y. Hilton 
has some bidders that are willing to shell out a little bit more money than clearly he was offered this time around. The one-year deals, it's going to be happening throughout the next couple of years because of the salary cap situation we have because of the pandemic. All good. T.Y., I think he's going to be a stud. Carson Wentz finally has an O-line. Well, Carson Wentz had an O-line in Philadelphia, and that's when he was most successful. Kind of deteriorated here the last couple of years. But put him behind that top three, top four O-line with a running game. They they had just re-signed Marlon Mack. So you got Jonathan Taylor, really cheap. You got Marlon Mack, pretty cheap. Compared to what he was, I guess a little bit more expensive. But you only got him on a on the league minimum right around $2 million. So that offense is going to be fun, and I would not be surprised if Carson Wentz gets that resurrection. Okay, we're going to go to the NFC. We're going to start with the Arizona Cardinals, bolstering their offense when it seems like, trading for, yeah, boy, Rodney Hudson. I'm sorry, man. I hope you're still – hope you're holding on there. As well as signing the veteran A.J. Green to a one-year deal, worth up to $8 million, $6 million guaranteed. But yet again, another 30-plus-year-old joining the squad right after J.J. and, of course, Rodney Hudson. So they, I personally, I think they have a really good mix of – they got veteran players. You got your your young stars between Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. You got Buda Baker on the defensive end. They have a solid base of youngsters mixed with veterans. But your thoughts on how the Arizona Cardinals are making their moves and how they're going to be potentially looking. So this is a team in a very – different and difficult situation for the simple fact that they arguably play in the toughest division in the entire NFL right now. I think that they were probably poised to be the third or fourth best team before these moves. It's a gamble though. This is a real gamble. I know they do have that mix that you talked about between veterans and youngsters there on that team. But when you bring in guys, I I know Larry Fitzgerald was playing at a high level late in his career in Arizona. Maybe they can do similar with AJ Green who's fallen off dramatically in the last few years. It feels like he signed with Arizona and nobody batted an eye. Arizona then traded for Rodney Hudson, where it was a like rumored that he was going to get just cut outright. Oh, it seems like a move for the Raiders throughout. We'll get into the Raiders in a bit. I won't talk about them now. But they're getting, they're getting good players. J.J. Watt is still going to be solid. Rodney Hudson is still going to be solid. But what you're doing is you're abbreviating that window at the moment Because what you're going to have to do in the very short future is you're going to have to find the replacements for these guys. Whether they're on your team still in a reduced role or if these guys are on your team just not playing at the level that you're used to seeing them play throughout their career, it's just going to make for a situation where Arizona has to be in win mode now. Now, And clearly, they're going for it this year. The only thing that worries me, and it's a little different. I know it's a different sport. But it gives you that vibe of the Brooklyn Nets trading for KG, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, where you're like, oh, God, if this doesn't work, are we going to be in a little bit of trouble here with... Those were the Celtics. They traded them to the Nets. Oh, shit, that's right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, they didn't trade Ray Allen to the Nets, you fuck. Who was the third person they traded? Was it Rondo? I don't know. Ray Allen was in Miami to end his career. I know, but didn't he go from Brooklyn to Miami? No, he went to Boston to Miami. That's why they hated him because he left. Well, whatever. The third – I can't think of who the third one is. But it it all comes to the same point that this is the team – and for the record, I'm leaving that in there. So we're going to both sound like morons. It'll be great. Hey, that's why it's a football podcast. You're not kidding. But you guys understand my point. This is one of those situations. If you bring in guys that – have that proven pedigree, you're going to have to typically overpay for them. 
and you run the risk that you're going to get them on the back part of that career where they just don't look like the same player and you're hampered by large contracts. So if it works out for them, kudos to you. You pulled moves that I wouldn't have personally made in the attempts to win with a young quarterback. But I guess you want to flip it and you want to play on their side. The new mold has been win Super Bowls with your quarterbacks on their rookie deals. This is their chance now to pay money that they won't have when they have to re-up with Kyler just to play both sides of the fence. I can see what they're doing. I just don't particularly agree with it myself. See, I agree with the moves that they are doing, but I don't like win now, but that division that they are in. If this was literally any other division, I'd be all in on this team. Also mixed with, we know how up and down this team was last year. What makes you think that this is going to be any different? Granted, they're bringing in J.J. Watt. They got A.J. Green. Seasoned veterans on both sides of the ball. But then it's going to come down to Kyler Murray and how he's going to play. Well, and you have these guys, too. It's not like you typically bring in these guys and you're like, oh, they have a winning pedigree. I mean, A.J. Green never won a playoff game in Cincinnati. J.J. Watt got so used to playing the 430 Saturday games in Houston. And then immediately against AJ Green, against AJ Green, and typically, well, actually not typically, always JJ Watt and the Texans came out on the better end of that. But they were winning wild card rounds, and then Rodney Hudson, unfortunate for that guy, he goes from Kansas City pre Patrick Mahomes to the Raiders immediately after during the Mahomes era. He never got any winning done either. So yeah, these guys are tremendous pros. But I, I don't really put that much stock in a 53-man roster that you need that winning pedigree in this sport as much. But that's going to be an argument you hear from a lot of people. So can they put it together? Can they figure out those ups and downs? Because there were a lot of ups and downs last year. But I mean, we talked about it already. That This is a team that they started the year so hot, we started doing the... Were we wrong about them? Is this a team that can make a push in the playoffs and just fell off the face of the earth in the second half of the season? That was our constant back and forth. We were like, eh, we were pretty wrong. Actually, we were dead on. No, we were wrong. Nope, we were dead on. Oh, shit, it's the playoffs. They're completely out of it. It's Arizona. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, that was one of those things where, like, you watch that Bills game with the Hail Mary. I just remember my brain breaking throughout, trying to wrestle with the, is this team an actual contender? And then they, I'm like, ah, no. No, you have to win this game at home. You can't give up a late score like that. Then you go down and win on a Hail Mary. It was just an enigma of a team. Now we are going to key in on the NFC East. Wally, do you really think that we would have been talking about the NFC East? I mean, I know we're not talking about it during the season, so I guess we have to talk about them eventually. I knew you wouldn't want to be talking about this division, but me, on the other hand, I've been pumping the tires of the Washington football team for like 15 months now. And we, I know we want to really touch on both the Giants and the Washington football team's moves more than, but you know, the Eagles. Like, yeah, you brought in Joe Flacco. Or let me rephrase it, the ghost of Joe Flacco. And then you have Dallas moving on from Alden Smith. There wasn't a ton of real new developments that felt really impactful for either of them. But you have, on the flip side, Washington brings in Curtis Samuel and Ryan Fitzpatrick, who at that point, you're like, wow, this team... It feels like they're probably the most complete team in this division. But then the New York Giants, the G-Men, are also very complete. It feels like their biggest issue, too, is consistency at that quarterback position. 
That's two teams that have very good defenses. So what did they both do this offseason? They went out and they got weapons for their quarterbacks, whether that be Daniel Jones or Ryan Fitzpatrick, Curtis Samuel going to Washington football team. Carolina did not want to see that guy go. He was a beast with them, but simple for the fact that it didn't economically work out for them to retain him. Great for Washington. But then Kenny Galladay could have had a chance with that Kenny Galladay with the the Bengals fans everywhere. Really blew that opportunity. But it was ultimately a good move for them. What I didn't like about it, that obscene contract. I want to say it's four years, $72 million or something to that effect. Done eighteen million per for a guy like Galladay. Yeah, you, you put up stats in Detroit, but how much of those stats are coming because the Detroit Lions were behind constantly, and you had a gunslinger like Matt Stafford out there that was able to help pad those stats for you? We'll see if Daniel Jones is able to get that efficiency still from Galladay. I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm still way too early thinking Washington is going to win the division next year. And who knows, we get one more run at Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'd love to see the guy go out on top, actually win a division title after being what's really turned into a career backup. So I'm going to start with the Kenny Galladay contract. Four years, 72 mil. So he's only about 4.4 mil cap hit next year. Then the next three years, he is no less than 21.1 mil. So they are chucking a lot of money, especially when you have Saquon Barkley's contract coming up. Potentially Danny Dimes if you want to re-sign him. Obviously, I think that's what this year and the next year are going to determine if you do want to re-sign him. The Washington football team is winning this division next year when they're playing for it. But free agency talk right now, they blew him out of the water. Adding Ryan Ryan Fitzpatrick, veteranness to your quarterback room with Taylor Heineke, who is waiting in the wings for him. You had Curtis Samuel to scary Terry McLaurin. They're pairing back up from their college days. You also have Antonio Gibson, that rookie running back that played pretty damn well last year. To your point here, Wally, with that disgusting defensive line that the Washington football team has, I think that they will win this division, but definitely do not gloss over the New York Giants and the weapons that they did add to their offense because that was a top 10 defense in themselves up in New York. They just didn't have any quarterback play, to your point. Now, adding Kenny Galladay, you're getting Saquon back. As well as they signed Kyle Rudolph, that adds tight end depth. You know Evan Ingram, the dude is very unreliable, cannot stay on the field. But when he is on the field, he is Danny Dimes' A, favorite target, and B, just an absolute problem. And Kyle Rudolph, the dude loves making one-handed catches. No one ever talks about Kyle Rudolph's one-handed catches, but he's a very good blocker. And like I said, you're adding depth to a position that seemingly always seems injured. And that is not a bad backup plan. We just talked about two teams in the NFC East that both obviously addressed much needed need on offense. The Seattle Seahawks also did that this last week by bringing in Gabe Jackson from the Raiders. As a Raider fan, I really love Gabe Jackson. Was he the best guard in the league? No, but he was always dependable. He never seemed to be out more than a game or two in a year. I think they got a good one here. Now the question becomes, is that enough for Russell Wilson? Is this going to be a team that's going to look even further in the draft now for offensive line help? Or do they just say, hey, Russ, we gave you a guard. We're going to kind of let it run it back now. Let's figure it out and see if maybe, you know, you don't want to run yourself into so many sacks. It's been a little bit of a cold war for the team. The fact that they don't seem very eager to try to move him 
Yet Russ is doing that double or talk out of both sides of your mouth. Well, oh, I love Seattle. I don't really need to go anywhere. But if you were going to trade me. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. This offensive line still has what seems like holes. Is this going to be further addressed now in free agency where all of a sudden linemen are sparse and hard to come by? Or is this going to be another team and have done in the past where they look to the draft to potentially build that lineup a little more? Or could you see them going in an entirely different direction altogether? Offensive linemen in the draft this year, I feel like, are just going under the radar. I feel like there's a lot of talent in the draft this year where, yes, you can address the O-line play in the draft. Trading for Gabe Jackson, awesome. But re-signing Chris Carson, that has to raise a lot of flags. For you, Russell Wilson, talking about how you're tired of running the ball, you want to get protection, and what do you do? Awesome. Went and traded for Gabe Jackson. That's what I'm looking for. Resign Chris Carson to a contract. Why are we tying up money for a running back when I just said I don't want to really run the ball that much? We can spend that money on O-line and maybe draft a running back fifth, sixth, seventh round that you can bring in and plug and play. That's what Seattle has basically been doing since Marshawn Lynch gone. And with Chris Carson's injury history here the past couple years, it would just make fiscal sense not to be spending the money on a running back, especially when Russell Wilson is harping on the running game being his weak point, his anger point of why he's requesting the trade or not even requesting the trade, talking out both sides of his mouth, as you put it so nicely, Wally. I don't think Seattle has done enough. They're going to have to go to the draft. They're also going to have to address their defense. Carlos Dunlap is a free agent. When they traded for him and brought him in, that was a spark to their defense instantly. They're going to let him walk. They let Shaquille Griffin walk as well. The underlying story here is we need to bolster the O-line. We also need to work on this defense. Well, Russell Wilson, welcome to the club. This is what Aaron Rodgers has been dealing with his whole career, bud. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of teams out there, a lot of quarterbacks that can, can complain about line play in general throughout the, the years. It's, I think, getting to that point, though, where it's – this is a Russell Wilson-led Seahawks team that's had very high expectations – very much like your Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers-led teams, and only having one ring to show for it, I think it's getting frustrating, and I think he wants to basically just hit the fast reset button. Everybody at the end of the day wants to be playing for Super Bowls, and right now, especially being in that division, it makes it tough to imagine the Seahawks are in the driver's seat right now to get there. I still think that they're probably the second-best team on paper in that division, but you can make a case that they're still third or fourth now. I mean, the Rams as always, got better. The 49ers are finally healthy, and we've already talked about what the Cardinals are doing, seemingly all in, to try to win in this little window while Kyler Murray is still on his rookie deal. I don't know. I, I really, I mean, not to mention, we've seen the Seahawks in their drafts. They don't exactly hit all the time on these offensive linemen. It, it, in the last 10 years, if it wasn't for their success on the field, I think we'd be talking a lot more about the ineffectiveness of the front office to develop talent and get them there in general to begin with. But you did mention how good this offensive line class is. So who knows? Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the time Russell Wilson gets what he wants and maybe they put it all together. Maybe this animosity might actually pay dividends on the football field. I wouldn't mind seeing Russell Wilson go to another team. He's underappreciated, and the, that goes past the Seattle front office. That's the whole NFL. 
he's been doing this his whole career. Everyone just really started to jump on his bandwagon the last couple of years. They didn't even give a shit about him when he was winning the Super Bowls. But now he's banging Sierra, popping out kids with her. Now everyone's on his fucking jock. But, Russ, let's get this done for him. As much as I hate him, he's he's brought a lot of torment and heartbreak to the uh, Green Bay community. Love watching Russell Wilson play. That team is nothing without him. Pete Carroll is nothing without him. And that's the best player, obviously quarterback, but player overall that's ever put on the Seahawks jersey. And you've got to keep that man happy. So that wraps up our NFC portion here. We'll flip over to the AFC. For the most part, we covered all this in the glossing over section of the contracts, controversy, whatever it may be. So you know we only have one team and one team only to talk about. Wally's Vegas Raiders having a little bit of an interest, uh, interesting free agent period. Obviously, I'm going to let you do most of the talking here, but let me uh, let me kind of paint the picture, set the scene. They signed Kenyon Drake to a two-year, $11.5 million deal. Uh, I think that's a win-win for both you guys. You got a talented dude, and you got him for cheap. Awesome. But the offensive line carousel. You traded Gabe Jackson like we were just talking about. Rodney Hudson, which we already talked about. Trent Brown, which we talked about here about a couple weeks ago. All traded. They signed Nick Marlin. They re-signed Richie Incognito. So is the plan to draft a new tackle here? as well as how we feeling about the Kenyon, uh, Kenyon Drake signing. Hold on. <clears throat> as well as how we feeling about the Kenyon Drake signing. I'm higher on the Drake signing than I feel like most people are. I feel like most of the media has kind of done the, wow, you get rid of, you gut your offensive line just to put in another running back with Josh Jacobs. When in reality, I think people that aren't very close to the, the scene can, can't really understand the what I believe to be the philosophy where this is in a line that was built more for pass protection opposed to running the ball. As you could see last year, the holes weren't there for Josh Jacobs like they had been in his rookie season. I think the move of bringing in Nick Martin and bringing in Incognito again on a cheaper deal, I think the goal is to get back to a running attack. I don't know. It's kind of got a Browns feel to it where this is basically an attempt to have that two-headed monster at running back where the Browns have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. I think that they tried to bring Drake in to be that complimentary piece for Josh Jacobs. Now, does that work? We'll see. It could be up to $14 million, which I feel like everybody just attaches that number to it. If it's $14 million we're paying Kenyon Drake, I'm probably happy because that means he's hitting all of his marks that he has to make to get to the $14 million. I'm not going to panic yet. I think that this, you said it well, this has been a curious offseason for the Raiders. It's a little bit, different but this was an offensive line last year being paid more than any other line in the league so at some point you have to think to yourself should we or could we be better off putting that money to the defensive side of the ball and you got to see that already by not electing to re-sign Nelson Aguilar for a two-year 13 million dollar deal but instead going after Yannick Ngakwe with the draft I think we're going to have a better picture on what they're looking for I do believe that right now there's a very strong chance that you could see the Raiders take a, a tackle at that spot in the mid-teens where a lot of people are talking about that Oklahoma State tackle potentially falling there. And he's a kid's a whiz kid. He's really smart, too. I love having smart offensive linemen. That, I think, as of now, being a month out of the draft, that would be what I expect. But you could also go back in the second, third rounds of this draft, going to the guys that we might have even talked a little earlier about with Dickinson or even Leatherwood, 
for Alabama. There's a ton of interior offensive line depth. It's just in that first round. I think you'll see right tackle. And they're just going with the blueprint of instead of highest paid offensive line, go with a younger, more run-dependent style offensive line, and hopefully you strike gold. I don't think that this is ultimately going to make the Raiders any more of a contender or any less of one. It's just a different format for the team altogether. But I'm not one of the doomsdayers out there that think that every Raiders fan should be throwing themselves off the I-480 bridge right now. Fan thing, they just need to trust the process. It's a very weird process at that, whatever Gruden and Mayock are doing. But I guess let's trust it because you guys are getting incrementally better each season. You know, you pair up Nagakwe with your boy Max Crosby. It's going to be an absolute problem. Got Abrams hopefully coming back healthy, but every time a dude goes down, looks like he's dead, broke a leg or something. Dude is very dramatic. At the end of the day, you're fighting for a second, the number two spot in the NFC West. Excuse me, the AFC West. Big NFC guy right here. So until they addressed the offensive line necessities, then I will, you know, determine what I think about this team. But until then, I think they're making, you know, the Kenyon Drake, the best move they made. Oh, restructuring Mark, Marcus Mariota's deal. Thank God for that guy. So we're done with all the free agent talk here. No, I was just going to say that the $7 million you saved from Mariota's deal, who knows where you can displace that now. That was a huge... And then it makes the, the deals like the Kenyon Drake signing feel less extreme. And you also restructured with Richie Incognito. So these are guys that are taking significant pay cuts and add that base salary a little bit for the Raiders. Who knows? Maybe they still can be a player for one of those veteran defensive edge rushers that is still out there on the draft or on the free agent board right now. And Wally, you want to talk about adding veteran veteran pass rush or just defensive rush. They are flooded here on the free agent market. Obviously, you got Jadavion Clowney. had a very, very interesting year with the Tennessee Titans. Didn't record any sacks, only four tackles for loss. A lot of question marks surrounding him. You have Everson Griffin coming off a year with Dallas. That defense was an absolute shit show. But if you can get that man for cheap, that is a great veteran piece to add to your team. You got Melvin Ingram, who was getting no hype, it seems like. Ex-LA Charger. Still has a lot that he can bring to a team. Still got a little bit left in the tank. Then you got Alden Smith. We all know the problems with Alden Smith. Obviously, the Cowboys would move on to him. He only played a handful of games this year. Well, but honestly, a handful of games in the past three or four years. So that name's not as hot. Sticking on the same side of the ball, you got Richard Sherman, cornerback that's kind of floating around, as well as Malcolm Butler and Casey Hayward, both all-pro, ex or former all-pro cornerbacks that can still contribute to a team. Offensive side of the ball, biggest name sticking out right now with O-line as being the topic is Alejandro Villanueva, the ex-Pittsburgh Steeler who is still trying to find a new home. So Wally, out of all these, or maybe someone that has just stuck on your mind, out of all the notable free agents, which one are you signing? Well, if we're going for the Raiders side, I definitely would be signing an edge rusher. If you, I mean, all of a sudden you have a little bit more money. Maybe you go and get a guy like Clowney coming off a terrible year and give him a chance to be a rotational player and even slide inside occasionally where you can kind of on pass downs play him as a tackle and try to get a little extra pressure on the quarterback. You did mention Alejandro Villanueva. 
But you also have guys like Mitchell Schwartz still out there. There's talent to be found if you're willing to look. And at this point, a lot of teams, the calls stop being as frequent to these players. The players might come down a little bit on their prices. And you can get at this time of the year some gems kind of hidden in the rough. So I think that there will be teams that are still aggressive. Yeah, you, you mentioned Richard Sherman. There's also guys like Rashad Breland. There, there's going to be guys out there. It's awesome. This is why free agency is great. You have that initial rush, and it's like everybody just is like, all right, cool, free agency is over. There's a lot of guys out there, noticeable names, even guys like the Everson Griffin, who you could tell his age finally. The guy was an ageless wonder. He's like 33, 34. He starts falling off a little bit. But maybe your team is the team that can bring him in and spark that previous stud that was there, even if it is as a utility or a rotational end, so to speak. So there are plenty of people out there that you ask me, who would my team want to sign? I think depending on needs, there's plenty of position players out there that you can still go grab and be fired up about if it's your team. Me personally, because you didn't throw it back to me and ask, so I'm just going to go ahead and take the reins on this. As a Packers guy, I'm looking at Alejandro Villanueva, if you can get him for cheap. they Two years ago, they released Brian Beloga, who they have had for a long time, replaced him with Rick Wagner, the ex-Detroit Lion. This offseason, they released Rick Wagner for salary cap room. Would love to bring in Villanueva, who can still be a stud at the right tackle position, paired up with David Bakhtari whenever he gets in. Casey Hayward is a DB, bringing him to back where he was started his rookie deal. Would love that. Or Everson Griffin, honestly. I saw him terrorize my team for the you know eight, nine, ten years that he was in Minnesota. Wouldn't mind if we could uh, give Minnesota a taste of their own medicine. But with that... Oh, I wanted to ask you a question real quick. Please. So, one of the names on this list that I feel like no one's even talking about anymore, we're talking about Raiders legend Antonio Brown. Could it be a potential landing spot even for a place like Green Bay, potentially, where obviously the veteran quarterback presence seems to bring him more to past Antonio Brown, level-headed Antonio Brown? Could you see him potentially end up at Lambeau Field to play opposite of Devontae Adams, where last year he played opposite of one of the best wide receivers already? He's evidently comfortable in that role now as a number two. Could you see you guys taking a chance on him? I would hope not. I mean, worst case scenario, you know, all the wide receivers are off that, you know, most of the wide receivers I wanted Green Bay to take a chance on are already off the board. So if it's like a late signing one-year deal, I wouldn't be too upset about it. Something that we did not harp on on this episode was the fact that Tampa Bay is bringing back basically everyone on a bunch of one, one-year one deals, making it official with the Ndamukong Sue signing here for a one-year deal going back to Tampa. Seems like A.B. is the only piece that is missing. Maybe that's why he's flying under the radar. He's just going to go right back to Tampa Bay, and they're going to repeat. Run it back, run it back. Before we let you guys walk out of here to do whatever, drink beers, smoke weed, play pool, whatever you may do, we didn't even touch on March Madness last week. I feel kind of guilty. At the same time, it's a lot of games to cover. We're a football podcast here, people. But we at least want to pick a couple picks for you. Wally wants to give his revised Final Four. Obviously, I'm going to give you one pick, one extremely biased pick for over the weekend for the Sweet 16 matchups. So, Wally, what is your Final Four looking like now? Since you obviously picked all Big Ten teams, shit the bed the first Friday. Yeah, I, I very much shit the bed because I did have four Final Four teams in my 
had a few too many beers bracket, but I held on to that bracket because you know what? I just am like drunken words, sober thoughts. So I thought sober Wally thought four Big Ten teams would make it. And here I am backpedaling so much, I pulled my Michigan pick altogether, even though they're still in this. So I didn't want to pick games individually because I'm going to probably pick in the spur of the moment on Saturday and Sunday who I'm betting on. But the four teams that I I feel comfortable saying I believe they will be playing next weekend for the Final Four, you have Gonzaga, Alabama, Loyola, Chicago, and Baylor. And I think ultimately you will get a battle of the one seeds in a very chaotic bracket. And I've come full circle. I'm willing to accept it now. Gonzaga is really good. I think I'm going to have Gonzaga beating Baylor as it sits right now in the final. But for the podcast's sake, for your sake, and for even my buddy David Clavin's sake, I'm rooting for Syracuse to beat Sister Jean in an Elite Eight matchup. I hope I'm wrong. I would love to see you guys go play a little further and at least give me a rooting interest come the final weekend because right now it certainly won't be coming from my bracket. Cuse Nation, stand up. Buddy Buckets coming to play this weekend. My pick, you got a Pac-12 matchup. USC versus Oregon, very boring, but you love to see interconference matchups in the tournament. Now the Ducks had a very impressive win over Luca Garza in Iowa. So obviously I'm leaning a little bit towards the Ducks. USC did win the only matchup between these two teams by 14 points, 72 to 58. And they also just smoked Kansas. Kansas loves choking, but watching Oregon, what they have been doing this past weekend, that team is phenomenal. They blew me away more than USC. That's why I'm going to take the Oregon Ducks plus two and a half here. And of course, you know I got to give the bias pick. Syracuse plus six against Houston. Buddy Buckets is coming to play. That 2-3 zone is clamping down. You can watch all the film you want, but until it hits you in the face, you will not know what to do with yourself. So those are my picks. That is another episode of Loss of Down here in the books. Of course, I'm your host, Stephen Weed. He is my co-host, Wally Lukashensky. Wally, what are your parting words, bud? I guess parting words, Chase Claypool video. I don't know how many people out there have seen it yet. I know we have some Pittsburgh listeners. I I don't know what to make of it. It looks like he kicked the dude in the face in a bar fight and then went bolting right after. I don't know if anything will come from this because you know how the NFL is so inconsistent on when they dish out punishment when they don't. There's a chance this is just one of those stories that gets forgotten in a news cycle or so. If it isn't, I don't know what happens there. I mean, would there be a suspension? I don't know. But go watch the video. You'll get a kick out of it. No pun intended there. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook at Loss of Down and Twitter, Down underscore Loss. And until next time, free agency is still kicking. We'll be here next week to inform you more on some deals. And until next time, we are Loss of Down. And we'll see you for another episode next week. Sister Jean wants all the smoke.